Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We've been seeing in this amazing book, the only inspired history of the church that we have, which is part two, the book of Acts is part two. What's part one? The book of Acts, what is it? Luke, that's right. So Dr. Luke wrote the gospel, which focused on the person of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and then he passes the baton of his ongoing ministry to his people. So what you saw in Luke continues through his church. And we've seen the gospel advancing in the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem into the regions of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And friends, we are seeing what Dr. Luke meant the ends of the earth. Paul in this chapter today is going to be making his way on a boat, a couple of boats to Rome. He's headed to Italy. And so we're going to look today and see the narrative focusing on this voyage that he takes close to 2000 miles by sea. And we're going to encounter a shipwreck and we're going to look, it's going to unfold in three parts. Verses 1 through 12, there's a journey from Caesarea, their starting point. Why don't we put that map up? We'll just kind of, we may revisit this. So if you look on the lower right side there, you can see Caesarea. Everybody see it? And you can see the the journey is going to head up north and then hang a left, west, and he's going to hit some different coastal towns and end up If you hang a far left there, you can see the island of Malta, and that's where our story is going to end today. They're going to have a shipwreck and kind of crash land on the island of Malta, and then next week we'll see them move from Malta into Rome. And friends, this is one of the greatest ancient sailing stories in human history. And like Jonah in the Old Testament, which is another thrilling story about a prophet and a boat, this is one that many people have studied, both Christians and non-Christians alike, because it's got such great detail and nuance. There's a classic study, if you want to geek out a little bit about sailing, there's a classic story by a guy named James Smith. And it's called The Voyage and Shipwreck of St. Paul. It was written over 100 years ago. But to this day, this great expert of sailing, his study of this chapter right here has stood the test of time. Now, I wanted to just start with a little personal sailing story, if I could. We've got an image up here. And I can guarantee you this is not me on the image there. For those of you who lived through the 70s and the 80s, That is a Hobie Cat sailboat. And in 1985, my next door neighbor talked me into taking his new Hobie Cat sailboat out. It looked like this. His name was Patrick. And he said, we're going to go to Hefner and I'm going to show you how it's done. And I knew those were 
uh, words of doom, really. So we took his new sailboat out and he assured me that he knew the basics enough and the short of it is we ended up taking that boat out into the middle of Lake Hefner and a surprise thunderstorm rolled in and we flipped the thing over on its side and the sail filled up with water and then it tipped over a mass down. So we had an inverted sailboat with a massive thunderstorm coming in. The rain is pelting us. We're out in these pathetic uh, floats that we had around us, these life preservers. And I was looking at him saying, thanks, Patrick. You are really showing me how it's done. And frankly, we were stranded in the middle of Lake Hefner with a storm, and it was a ghost town. There was no one else out there because they were all using their brains. And so we were stranded, masked down, couldn't move, and thankfully these guys on a rescue boat came and hitched and pulled the the mast up and then helped us flip it and then towed us in. And so that is my personal sailing story today. It was pretty disastrous. And needless to say, I never went sailing with Patrick ever again. And today is actually going to be more thrilling than that. We're gonna see Paul sailing almost 2,000 miles And it is a story filled with thrills and disaster and Paul actually giving prophetic words to the people, leading the the sailing of the craft and they're ignoring him. So I want us to read, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 and then we'll make some comments and we'll make our way through this passage. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every single word and we thank you that the unfolding of your words brings light. And so we ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to unfold the word of God and to shine the light of God's truth into us. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna see Paul sailing for Rome in this first section and then we'll look at the storm at sea. Acts 27, when it was decided that we, and notice this is the fourth, fourth time in the book, using we language, and that lets us know that Luke is part of this journey. We were to sail for Italy. They transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan court named Julius, embarking on a ship of Adramidium that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee, the protective area of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After we had sailed across the sea that is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship, second boat, bound for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind was against us, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Sailing past it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Verse nine, since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the fast had already gone by, Paul advised them, catch this, 
saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favor of putting to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix where they could spend the winter. It was a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest. So what we're seeing in this section here, the big picture, we, can, we don't want to get lost in all the details, right? Lots of, we could have a quiz on this, couldn't we? Lots of names and islands. And the point is, as we saw earlier, they're moving north, they're hanging a left, they're going west, and they're going to that boot of Italy and headed to Rome. That's the big picture. And so again, Dr. Luke gives us all of these details because he's reliable and he's a great historian in the ancient world. And so he's recording this for us. There's Paul, there's other prisoners. You saw it, right? In verse one, who are these other prisoners? We don't know who they were, but some commentators think that we're gonna see there's 276 people on the boat later. Many of those prisoners are probably those already sentenced to death. They're probably condemned to death and they're going to be used for entertainment in the Colosseum in Italy. They're under this, the custody of a centurion, a soldier, and they're on their way with Paul and Luke and his traveling companions. Now the ship was from this place called Adramidium, and we know that from this story, Paul's gonna be on two boats, right? He's on a smaller boat that would hug the, the coast and stay as close as they could to the landmass and make their way up. And then they're gonna get on another boat that's much larger and it's gonna be loaded with grain as well as all of these prisoners and the crew. They're gonna sail up along Cyprus. Why don't we put that map back up there again? You can see. And most of these journeys are between like 60 and 120 miles until the very end. They're all gonna to add together for almost 2,000 Miles. Now we could get into all kinds of details. I've had such, I've really enjoyed this passage. I already told you in the past, some of the latter chapters of Acts have been a chore in the past, but I have really enjoyed learning some of the details of this passage and seeing some details from others that this was a grain ship from Alexandria. So it's loaded up with grain and they're going to cash in on this great supply of grain as they take it into Rome and they're gonna end up having to throw it overboard. Verses nine through 12, you see Paul, he's giving them advice. He's saying, hey guys, and we don't know, did Paul have a dream? Did he have a, a vision? We don't know how he knew this. We do know that Paul sailed over 3,500 miles on 11 other Voyages, So he probably had as much time on a ship as anybody on the crew. And he's telling them, this is going to be rough. Most likely the Lord showed him that. And they've been delayed, right? At verse 9, we see that they lost much time. And what was happening, they were trying to calculate how do we get to our destination before the winter weather comes in. And the majority of the crew didn't listen to Paul, did they? They're thinking at verse 12, we don't want to stay here at Fairhaven. We want to go on 
to Phoenix. And that's probably because Fairhaven was not only an unsafe port to be in, but it was probably a boring place to be. And the sailors had to have things to do. So they said, let's head to Phoenix. And Paul was saying, no, let's not. Look at verse 13. This is the storm at sea. What do you think about reading the whole section? Can we? Again, we're trying to practice the public reading of scripture, even when it's like this. So my words almost become secondary. I would rather for you to hear the very words of God here. And so I'm gonna read this section, okay? So hang in there and practice listening to the narrative as it unfolds. When a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought that they could achieve their purpose. So they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete, close to the shore. But soon a violent wind called the Northeaster rushed down from Crete, from the mountains of Crete, since the ship was caught and could not be turned head on into the wind. We gave way to it and were driven. By running under the lee, the protective area of a small island called Cauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. That's the little dinghy attached to it, the small little passenger boat. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run on the Sirtis, it's a bunch of uh, sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and they were driven again. We were being pounded by them so violently by the storm that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, catch this, this is bleak. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So friends, we're seeing the storm at sea is a disaster, isn't it? And because Luke is on board, he's able to describe. They had a decent south wind at first. They were ready to sail. And then they came into a hurricane-like wind with the north wind and the east wind colliding together and creating a swirl. They tried to take shelter on the island of Cauta. They lifted up the boat and they put these large straps underneath it to reinforce it. But it's not going to work for them, is it? They were being violently tossed by the storm, fearing that they would be driven into quicksand and the sea banks. And they began, what did they do? They threw all of the belongings, all of the extra cargo, the spare gear overboard. This is where we get the word jettison, to lighten the ship and make it easier to ride the waves. Then at verse 20, they could not even see any light at all. The storm clouds, the sun, the stars, all blocked by the clouds for many days. Then look at verse 21. Paul's gonna bring some encouragement. Catch this. They had been without food for a long time. It's gonna end up being two weeks with no food. Paul stood up among them and said, men, This is what we call an apostolic told you so. You ready for this? Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete 
and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Look at verse 23. How does Paul know this? Last night, there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. Verse 25, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, that's correct, two weeks straight, as we were drifting across the sea of Adria, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings, they measured and found 20 fathoms, 120 feet. A little farther on, they took soundings again, found 15 fathoms, about 90 feet. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the little boat and set it adrift. Verse 33, just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food. Today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive. For none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, look at the language here at verse 35. See if you can detect it. He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Recognize something there? Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. Verse 37, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. Friends, I know there's a lot of detail here, but again, what a gift this story is to the church for many reasons. We could spiritualize it, couldn't we? We could say that there are times in our lives where we're in a massive storm and all, but that's not the point of the story. We do see that Paul emerges as a leader and Paul has been seeking God in prayer, but the point of the story is a literal historical event that's happening. And it is true that when the heat is on, leaders emerge, and we see that with him. But look at verse 21. They hadn't eaten in days. You know why? Anybody been on a boat that's kind of moving around and doing this? Do you want to go eat a greasy cheeseburger, or do you want to eat food? It's the last thing you want to do, right? So they've been moving, tossed about, soaked with water. The ship has been taking water, so it's hard to prepare food when you want to barf, isn't it? 
and it's hard to prepare food when everything is soaked in water and you're fighting for your lives. So they did not eat. They're throwing the gear overboard and they are in a dire place. But Paul, look at verses 23 and 24. Do you notice we've seen this before, haven't we? In the book of Acts, there's divine intervention over and over again, isn't there? We can remember back just a couple of chapters. In chapter 23, Paul's life is on the line, and the Lord Jesus comes and stands at his side and says, Paul, I'm with you. Take courage, Paul. You are going to go to Rome. And so Paul, there and here, is standing on the promise of Jesus. And now the promise of God through an angel, he said, we're going to make it through. So he stands up in this bleak, dark moment and gives courage. He says, don't be afraid. I am going to make it and you will make it with me. Now they drop four anchors, don't they? Verses 29 through 32. They're basically seeing that they're going to make it but they're dropping everything overboard. And I think this is a beautiful little passage here, a little section where at verse 35, what did you notice about that language at verse 35? Someone tell me. They haven't eaten in two weeks. And Paul says, it's time to eat. So they probably salvage a little bit of the food. And then what what language did you notice there at verse 35 and 36? What do you see? Yes, it's like communion, isn't it? It's called Eucharistic language. And Eucharist means thanksgiving. And so that's a fancy word for saying they had a Eucharistic meal. For those Christians that were there, Paul was signaling to them, we're going to eat, but we're going to at the same time celebrate the body and blood of Christ. And we're going to make it. He is going to bring us through. And so we're giving thanks to him for who he is, for his presence here with us on the boat, for the presence of his spirit and for his promise, we are going to make it. So you can imagine what a beautiful moment that was for Paul, for Luke, for those that are with him, giving thanks. He encouraged everyone to eat. All 276 people ate and were satisfied. Why do you think they numbered them? like to ask you questions. They probably numbered them because they were prisoners, right? Many of them. And so they were accountable. They had to get all of those prisoners to where they were going. And if the number was lower than 276, then those soldiers, that centurion and those working with him were responsible. So it was critically important. It may have been too that they were dividing up the food evenly. So they counted 276 there. Let's end with verses 39 through 43. Hey, we've made it through a massive chapter. This is one of the biggest chapters in Acts. How are you doing? Doing all right? 39 through 43. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore. Just think, they were like, we've just got to get there. Even if it's a crash landing, we are going to find land And they're going to get there if they could. Verse 40, so they cast off the anchors. They left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes and tied the the steering oars. So they're letting everything go. And they hoisted the little foresail, the little small 
sail there to the wind and they made for the beach. But striking a reef, man, these guys can't get a break, can they? One thing after another. So they hear land by the waves that are breaking on the shore. They've taken those soundings. They've measured. We're getting closer to land. But they hit a reef. Then they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. This poor ship has had it. So the soldier's plan, look at this at verse 42. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard. This is rather humorous, isn't it? Those of you that can swim, jump, start swimming, make for land, and the rest, that is who can't swim, to follow, get on planks and other pieces of the ship. And so it was, look at how it ends, they were all brought safely to land. What a beautiful, remarkable story. They end up having a massive shipwreck But like God promised through the angel to Paul, they all made it. I wanted to show, I meant to do this earlier, but show the picture of a ship. This is probably what that poor ship looked like. Can you dim the lights just slightly maybe? Then you can see some of the details. You can see the big rudders, the big rudder oars at the back of the ship and the foresail, the small sail in the front, 276 people on there tons of grain. They threw everything overboard. Then that sucker fell to pieces and they made it to shore. Everyone survives by the hand of the Almighty. So why don't we stand? I really have loved working through this story.